I made a jingle. Are you ready for my jingle? This is how it goes. Dementia can be a funny old thing, like not using cutlery when you're eating. It's walking around the streets, holding a cup of wheat, and putting three buckets of sugar in your tea. It's telling people to piss off when you're having a bad minute and forgetting your way home from the chippy. It's putting food in the wardrobe like mouldy coleslaw and gone off ham and chucking the entire contents of your house into the garden and slamming the door. Bam! I hope you like my jingle and now we'll start the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Dementia Adventures and Other Stories with me, Charlotte. And me, Lewis. This week we have a special guest called Liam. And Liam is a Alzheimer's survivor. Disclaimer! Disclaimer, Alzheimer's is an incurable disease. He's an Alzheimer's survivor in the sense that he has survived looking after both parents who have had dementia. Just FYI, so they don't get a load of backlash from people saying that it's an incurable disease. I know this. Um, but anyway, so, Liam, would you like to say hello? I'm just happy to be here. Excellent. Um, so, we want to talk to you today about your experience in dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's and your delightful parents and you've unfortunately succumbed to said disease. Over a decade on it. Yes. It's quite a long time. So what was the the year when your father was diagnosed? He was the first to get dementia, wasn't he? Oh I can't I can't remember the year, but he would have been in his late fifties. When he first got diagnosed. Uh, quite well not when he first got diagnosed, when we first started seeing the signs. Because he didn't get diagnosed till much, much later because the diagnosis was so much worse then. How, when did he get diagnosed and how old was he? Oh, uh, 62, 63. So he went... 64 so maybe. Nearly 15 years without a diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, it depends where you draw the line, isn't it, between forgetfulness and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but he started doing the classic thing of... Um, uh, forgetting his keys and forgetting where he parked the car, forgetting what town he was in, mm-hmm. all those kind of things. So what kind of dementia or Alzheimer's did your dad have? That's a very was good question. Was it just Alzheimer's as a whole or it wasn't vascular? No, like it wasn't. No, my mother was diagnosed with vascular dementia first. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was just diagnosed years into it with, oh, wow, we think it's Alzheimer's. I see. So your mum got diagnosed before your dad did. No, no, my, dad, my mother got a diagnosis um, just before my father died. Okay, so how was life when you were sort of assisting your mum in sort of caring for your dad? Did you get care in-house? Oh, yeah, eventually, yeah. We went, we went, we went through the whole gamut of... Um, because I think, see, I think personally, I think the, the earlier parts are more difficult. Mm-hmm. Because once you've got to the point where somebody's lost the marbles then they're easier to look after yeah um because yeah well it depends it's obviously it depends individually on a person because some people can get very angry and aggressive and biting my auntie alex yeah my auntie alex lived to 100 mm-hmm. um she got dementia towards the end of her life um mm-hmm. and her tolerance for me was about 15 minutes before she tried to bite me <laughs> um but my father was very placid mm-hmm. so um, once you get past the stages of uh, I don't know where I am I'm not sure what's going on to just kind of like being a, a giant fish in a giant fish bowl 
it's it's kind of easier to look after. Although there's still all the trauma of having to get used to complete strangers, you know, coming into your house at no notice with their own key to come and go four times a day. Mm-hmm. So you got carers coming in. Uh, so was your mum caring for your dad as well? Yes. Um, she got to the point where my father spent the last 18 months of his life in a care home mm-hmm. because my mother got to the point where she just said, I can't do this anymore. Okay. I, can't, I can't look after him. Because mm-hmm. um, that was at the point where he was then becoming incontinent. Right. And at that point, my mother drew the line and said, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. Fair enough. Uh, but prior to that, my mother was the sole carer, really. I was there some of the time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like the situation with my mother. With my mother, I moved in to look after her. Mm-hmm. With my father... I was just visiting, and I might be visiting every day. Yeah. Um, but you still, you don't, when you're just visiting, when you're on the periphery, you just don't, you don't see the intensity of it. Well, true. Um, and with your dad, did did he still know who you were? All yes. The way through? Um. Or well, yeah, almost all the way through, because luckily, and I say this luckily, and anyone who's suffered, who's had a relative suffer with Alzheimer's, will know this. Uh, luckily. My dad died of a heart attack before he got right to the end stages of Alzheimer's. Okay. So he did 18 months in a care home, um, still kind of knew who I was, wasn't really completely aware of his surroundings, except he knew he wasn't home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he died. Right. Whereas if you don't, you know, if, if something else doesn't get you and Alzheimer's takes you right to the end, then you, know, you end up you know, suffocating to death or you, you're all going to shut down and you become unable to communicate at all. Yeah. And then what was your experience of your dad being in the care home like in terms of your sort of, I don't know, did you feel comfortable with your dad being in the care home? No, no. especially not the care home he was in. Oh. Horrific. I mean, I don't think there are any good care homes. I've never come across one. I've looked at lots. Mm. You know, there are some least worst where you think, okay, that's not, absolutely dreadful but there's nowhere i would look at and say you know what i'd be quite happy living here uh-huh. um but no it, it, my experience of him in a care home is every time he would say oh have you come to take me home yeah and what was your experience when you went to the council with him about like seeing the other residents there and sort of their experience did it affect you mentally when you could see other everyone else suffering from the same thing um, not really, because I think at that point, well, this is the way I deal with it. Depend, you know, you would have to take medical views on this, but my opinion is once you once you get down to that kind of stage, you, you who who they are isn't who they are anymore. Mm. They cease to be the person you knew, and mm. they just become a functioning shell. Yeah. Um. So, what year did your dad die then? Uh, good question. You'd have thought I researched this, wouldn't you? <laughs> Uh, about seven years ago. Okay. And then shortly after your dad died, then your mum got diagnosed? Um, before, just before. Before your dad died. Before, yeah, because um, one of the things we're really worried about at my father's funeral whether was whether my mother would understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Did she? I think so. Uh, but she was on the cusp of not being quite sure. So... Because my... my um, my mother was diagnosed, again, it would help to know the year here, but I can't remember exactly, but seven years ago-ish. Um, the September of the year before was um, when my mother was diagnosed, and my father died in the March of the following year. Okay, so it was only a few months. Um, yeah, 
and and in, again it was uh, with with my mother um there was quite a big drop off to start off with and then she leveled out for a long long time so at what point did you start as no started noticing things not quite right with your mum Oh, with my mum, it was easy because my mother, I'm self-employed and my mother used to do my accounts mm. uh, and she'd do my accounts monthly. I looked at August's accounts and they were fine and I looked at September's accounts, they're all over the place. Mm. That was your main trigger to yeah. either that it was a problem. Um, and luckily, um, she'd um, had um, an operation on her, on her neck to have... Um, the major artery to your brain unclogged okay. several years before. So she'd had several brain scans that were already on file. So, and the referral was really quick as well. It's not like it is now where it takes an absolute age. So within two or three weeks, we were having a brain scan at the Royal Oldham Hospital. And the consultant, because again, luckily we'd had scans from five years before that, mm. could put the two side by side and say, look at all this area where the brain's already dead. Wow, such a quick decline then. Yeah, well, it, it, it kind of, it, it, it was a double-edged sword because um, they got her onto some fairly powerful drugs very quickly, which kind of halted the decline. It put the brakes on it immediately. Okay. So there was kind of like a big drop down over a period of just two or three months um, where she went from being able to, you know, manage my accounts and work the computer and do all that to... Still knowing who I was, but you know, leaving the front door open, certainly not being able to use a computer, mm-hmm. um, not being able to draw a profit for herself because she'd leave the kettle on or she'd leave the fridge door open and, and things like that. That happened all very quickly, mm-hmm. and then we had several years of kind of like pottering along at that level, mm-hmm. which at the time seemed like, gosh, this is quite bad, but yeah. looking back, it's like that's a bit of a gift, yeah. So, you notice sort of things situated in the wrong place in the kitchen cupboards and yeah milk in the cupboard instead of the fridge that type of stuff yeah um yeah did she go back a bit whenever she was first medicated did like she go back a few steps or was it just halted at that level no she was kind of halted halted at a level and you could we could manage that fairly easily just by taking the kettle away mm. and making sure that the, you know the, the gas was turned off at the at the the mains. The, the mains. Well, we had gas tap fitted at the bottom of the cooker, mm. so you'd have to root around behind it to do it. And then the rest of the time, she could kind of look after herself, and I'd pop in every day. It wasn't until until, until later that we got carers in. Yeah. So what at what stage did you get carers, and then you move in? Um, got care. We got carers in about twelve months later, um, where I was working most days, especially weekends. Mm. Um, and it got to the point where we didn't really feel she was safe on her own most of the time. Did she wander, like go out of the house and go roundabout? No, the again, and things? Right, right up until just before she died, when she had a few falls, for a good five years, she was very placid and quite happy just to wander about the house or sit in a chair or, you know, just kind of be. Because mm. to start off with, she'd watch television or read a book, and of course, as Alzheimer's progress, progresses, you lose your uh, ability to recognise 3D shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you lose your ability to be able to read properly. So she got to the point where she would listen to classic FM rather than watch the TV okay. because she couldn't follow a narrative. So can you tell the difference in your mum and dad with the types of dementia that they both had? 
Or is um, it the same, one and the same type situation? Uh, that's a really difficult question because I would say yes, but I wouldn't, I'm not medically qualified enough to know whether that's down to whether it's vascular dementia or Alzheimer's or another kind of dementia. Mm. It may just be because of their different personalities because my, my father was very gregarious, very outgoing, um, was a performer, was always involved with amateur dramatics and he was a singer and a songwriter and he was, you know, he was the opposite to my mother who was very introverted, didn't have many friends, even when she was completely sane, she didn't go out. Mm. So it's difficult to, you know, pin down personality changes when they're two completely different people. Yeah, I guess so. And obviously the different types of dementia that they have. Because with grandma, as you know, we've had various scenarios where she's kicked off and been nasty to points and, you know, it's a bit unbearable and it makes you not want to go around and visit because you don't know how she's going to react and you're almost scared of her. I remember one point last year when me and mum were looking after her, so we did shifts where we'd stay for three nights each and after your three-day mark, you, you were done. You, your sell-by date had passed and you needed to leave. And... Um, we'd sort of look after her and on occasions we'd have to lock ourselves in the conservatory when she, when she was on one and having a right a hissy fit about I don't even know what we'd have to sort of lock ourselves in the conservatory yeah because your grandma was a lot more like my auntie Alex because my auntie Alex was my mother's sister um was her normal personality was a very engaging but placid personality mm-hmm. um and, and she went very violent towards the end to the point where she had to be put into a secure unit where there's, you know, uh, several different keypad doors and keypads on the lift. So we've put different combinations so that they couldn't get out. Wow. See, that's a bit more extreme to what grandma is. So grandma still kicks off. And last week, me and mum went to go see her. We took her out in a wheelchair down the road. Um, and she was she was already in a bit of a bad mood. And I could sense it when we first went to visit. And I said to mum, I said, oh, it's not it's not a good good mood today. She said, how do you know? I said, oh, I can just sense it. She's not engaging um, as much. Um, so we took her out in a wheelchair. She was bobbling around along. Because either the wheelchair is not made for the pavements or the pavement's not made for the wheelchair. Either way, it needed big tractor wheels so she didn't feel every bump. Um, but because she felt every bump, she was jiggling about. She said, stop it, stop it. And she was getting a bit frustrated with us. And then we took her back. And I was trying to get her out of the wheelchair to sit her back down in the chair in the bedroom. And stood her up, but I'm holding onto her hands. And she's she's sort of gripping onto my hands. And she's saying to me, get off it, get off it. I said, you're, you're holding onto me. I'm just helping you. Um, and I said to mum, I said, if looks could kill, we would have been dead several times today. Because we received a numerous amount of daggers. Um, so, but then sometimes she's been nice. Another time she's just not, and mum says, Don't take it personally. I said, Yeah, it's, it's all good and well saying that, but it's hard to not take it personally when you know that that was once your grandma, and now she's not. Um, and it's just interesting to see her sudden, like, dramatic change, really. But in her pre dementia life, she was quite a. She was still very stubborn. Mm. Always but, been stubborn. But she was, I don't know, maybe more gentle, caring. To the point she's still invite her ex-husband now for tea twice a week. She's still shouting in the morning when morning when you put tea bags on the side and newspaper marks on the cream sofas in the conservatory. But she was all around nice person. I mean, she had a moment, but then, yeah. I remember once I was in the conservatory 
Oh no, I was in the living room and she's outside gardening and it was a summer holiday and I'd just been watching telly and I dropped the remote <laughs> and I screamed for Grandma! And she came running and said, what? Can you put the remote on for me? <laughs> How old not- are you at this point? I was about seven. Wow. You've always been that lazy. <laughs> I've not always been that lazy. I just thought it'd be really funny. And she did find the funny side of the moment. But if you'd have asked her to do that recently, well, first of all, she'd be in a wheelchair. But, yeah, she would not have taken that very well. Mm. How were your parents in terms of eating and drinking like in their stage of dementia? Did you notice that they didn't eat much or drink much or eat a certain type of thing more than others? Or um, Well, no, they followed the classic um, dementia spiral down mm. in that, um, you know, they, first of all, their appetite's kind of okay and then it becomes um, a bit disjointed because they only eat when they're hungry. And then as the dementia progresses, they aren't capable of understanding whether they're hungry or not. So they don't eat and you've got to force them to eat. And of course, you can't put a meal in front of them and say, here's your tea. Mm. Because they'll look at it and they'll look away and then to look back at it again. It's like, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know how long that's been there. I'm not mm. eating that. Um, so you physically have to spoon feed them and eat them. Better than eat them. <laughs> um, get, them get them to eat. Um and then, of course, as the dementia progresses past the stage where they can um, eat food, they're onto the ensure drinks and their protein shakes and the things because they can't swallow properly. Because part of Alzheimer's um, is once once the disease has eaten through your brain and taken away your higher cognitive abilities, it takes away your motor functions. So you start to become unsteady and you can't walk like you could. You can't get up and down like you could. You fall over and you eventually can't swallow properly. Mm. So if you get that far, you get to the point where you're on liquid food and then you're, you're peg-fed eventually. Um, or you just stop eating and drinking completely, and then which, is, which is what my mother did. She just, she just for, the, for the past week of her life, she just, she just stopped eating and drinking. Oh, God. So is that what sort of sent her on away, essentially? Uh, yeah, because the um, again she uh, so she, she didn't had, she didn't die of anything else. Uh, well, yeah, well, dementia is not even on the death certificate. Hilariously, mm. uh, on the death certificate, the coroner decided to put um, old age and frailty. Interesting. Yeah. Even though she had a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely, and even though it was clearly the dementia that got her, um, but you know, there's there's no point arguing about that. It doesn't make any difference to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, she had, towards the end of her life, she was fairly steady and then she had uh, a couple of falls close together and was hospitalised. Um, and it's the period just after COVID where the NHS is in a massive mess. Um, and to any of you who have not experienced that, if you've not experienced A&E in the past three or four years, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. I mean, on, the, on the, the two or three times that we were in A&E, um, my mother was six hours lying on the ground waiting for an ambulance. Uh, another seven or eight hours in the back of more than one ambulance at Manchester Royal or Royal Oldham Hospital. So much so that the ambulance crews ran out of shift hours and we had to transfer to another ambulance because we just couldn't get into A&E. And then once we were in A&E, certainly in Manchester Royal, it was 20 hours before we were even seen. Mm. Um, and, of course, that and your meds are all... It's, that's, you know, that's... I mean, go... A&E is probably worse for you than not going to hospital because nobody feeds you, um, nobody's monitoring you properly, 
um, all your meds are up the wall because if you're on, you know, my mother was on like a dozen different tablets that we have some in the morning, some at lunchtime, some four times a day, some twice a day. Um, and of course, once you're doing 20 hours in A&E waiting to be seen, all that's out the window. Mm. So that has a massive physical and mental impact. Um, you're not, you know, you sat, mother was sat on a chair, she wasn't even on a trolley. Um, and for someone whose mobility is really compromised anyway, um, that then, all of that is like repeatedly hitting you with a hammer. Mm. Um, and we had that two, two or three weeks in a row at different hospitals. Um, eventually to the point where she couldn't get out of bed and of course the hospital aren't interested in you getting out of bed because that means they've got to watch you mm. and they've got to help you so they just left her in bed to the point where she couldn't manage on her own and she ended up in a care home mm. not for long, for about five or six weeks in a care home which was supposed to be temporary but again in the care home she just went downhill to the point where she was refusing to eat um, and then at one point the one of the care staff said to me um, you know, will you sit with her and spoon feed her because she won't, we're trying to spoon feed her and she won't take it and I said, I don't think I should because mm. we're just prolonging the inevitable Yeah, fair point We had the long A&E wait with grandma when uh, in December took her mum, the home had phoned mum at like 3 o'clock in the morning saying that all oh, our oxygen levels are low we're going to phone an ambulance Mum met them at the hospital and she was just in the corridor the whole time. Like even to the point of being discharged, she'd not even moved to a ward or anything. And they just said, you right, she can go home. So it was all fine. They just monitored her blood pressure levels and oxygen levels and everything came back normal. Um, but we were in the corridor for hours and hours and hours, 15, 16 hours. Well, I think if they were writing accurate death certificates, then the death certificate would have said, you know, lack of care from A&E mm. that killed her. Because that was again, that was a, a a huge attributor to her falling condition at the time. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say the staff weren't great. The staff were great, but they were just massively overwhelmed. I mean, the the, the um, one time at Manchester Royal Infirmary when we were in, there were fourteen people. We were lucky there in the, that time. We managed to get straight in, but there were fourteen people waiting for a booth. All the booths were full. There were fourteen people waiting for a booth. Um, there were there was a gunshot victim came in and then there was a car crash victims came in where there were three people that should have gone to resource but can't because resource is full God. and all the time we're just getting pushed further and further down the line because there are more needy people who are in for life and death situations mm. um, and that just goes on and on and on and um, there was one member of staff booking people in God. and they had like you know God knows how many people on corridors and on chairs and, and in booths. Hmm. Wow. So your experience of dealing with your mum and dad and your auntie, does that worry you for your future? Uh, no, because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Well. I'll be away with the fairies. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but... You well, know, initially my... you won't be, if you get a diagnosis. Well, yeah. You'll forget. Well, that goes, back to, that goes back to what I was saying right at the very beginning. I think personally that the the early parts are the worst because mm. the person with dementia is clearly aware there's something wrong, can't put the finger on it, and then the next stage after that is when they become really angry because the people around them are trying to intervene and the person doesn't understand. Like my father, we, we had to take the car keys off my father 
um, because it, be, it was just he couldn't dangerous. remember where he was going. Yeah, yeah it was getting it was getting dangerous. Um, and he uh, he went out and emptied his bank account and bought another car. <laughs> Um, and then cons- and then cons- uh, and then took that car and drove up Westminster Road, yeah. um, clipping half a dozen cars on the way up. Wow! And we had to take that car off him within twenty four hours. Did you manage to send it back? Or Sorry. Did you send it back, or did you have to sell it again? No, no, we had to sell it again. Oh. Yeah, but it wasn't an expensive car because again, it was it was only the money he could get out in his bank account. So it was like a grand, about thirteen hundred quid, I think, at the time, and he bought a Fiat Uno. Hmm. And, and managed to write that off in the space of a day. <laughs> Determined. I think that's what Grandma would have done. If she but had the, the yeah, but at the time he's like, I can drive. I know what I'm doing, mm. and was quite angry about it. Did uh, he ever accept that he was losing marbles or not? No, my father didn't. No, but he just he just kind of slipped into the next stage of um, just not really being completely aware. So before but, he knew it, he'd but he was still again going back to what I was saying before. Well, in in, in the care home, mm. it was it was. Angry to be there. Yeah. Why? Why am I in here? Where's like? Why can't this put me in here? What's going on? Have you come to take me home? Why are you not taking me home? I think if Grandma could see herself now, she'd be absolutely livid with herself and us yeah. for a putting him in a care home because she'd be like, "Don't put me in a care home, will you?" No, 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 not at all. But when you get to a point where you can't actually cope and they're chucking things out of the house, yeah, and having like eight members of like emergency services outside of the house, yeah. But in, the, in, the, in those stages of Alzheimer's, they'll have no memory of that. No. They live completely in the now. Yeah, she won't have any memory of that, but we all do. Yeah. Which mm. is the worst thing about it, because you remember how... So she, Grandma just saw red that day when she was chucking everything out of the house. It was raining, she chucked the duvet out, the kettle, toothbrush. And I'd heard stories previously of other people having experienced this with their loved one. They, they got to a point chucking things out of the house, and you're like, really? No. But when Grandma got to that stage, she was like, oh yeah. This does happen. Um, Seems like such a niche experience as well. It does. Oh, um, apparently not. But I mean, with ours, she was. Um, she just saw. She didn't even know who we were. I don't think that day because she just saw red and she was shouting, "Get out of my house!" There was nobody in her house. She kept slamming the door and everything. And then at one point, she was completely naked, sat on the chair. It's like, what are you doing? Um, well, her mum managed to get her clothes on, and grandma it. kept shouting expletives to mum and telling her to piss off and saying that she hated her. Mum was like, "Yeah, I know, but just put these on for me." Um, I managed to get her in the ambulance after a good eight hours of this going on. Constant. Absolute madness is what it is. It is madness. Um, I think people that haven't experienced dementia or maybe have experienced it with a family member, but they don't see them very often. They've not been that involved. Yeah, they, they imagine it's just kind of like a nice gentle slide down into madness. Mm. Um, when in reality, it's, it's you kind of like, you hit like a kind of stability and then there's some sort of big upset that, that causes huge amounts of trauma with the police or with whatever or hospital or whatever and then you it's like you fall down a load of stairs and, and you know either physically or metaphorically yeah. and you end up at another level which yeah. you then have to get used to when it's oh I can't walk now oh I can't talk properly oh I don't know who they are mm. then you you're like that for a bit longer and then there's some some sort of other trigger point which could be anything at any time yeah it is pretty traumatic to experience it from the perspective of a kid. Well, when you look at the stats, the, the average stats are from diagnosis to death is about nine years. Mm. And that's how the vast majority of people work out. And that's kind of pretty much where we were with my father and my mother. Mm. Uh, my mother was, what, 
uh, seven or eight years. My father's probably ten years. From his diagnosis? Yeah, from his diagnosis, yeah. Mm, prior to that, it was going down yeah. already. Well, that's uh, it's been insightful and uh, interesting to hear other people's experiences because you've had the placid experience. Have you ever had your mum and dad chucking things out the house? No, I've been very lucky that way. Both both ways, they've been very placid and, and a, a joy to look after. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So they would want a short straw. Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, thank you very much for your assistance in uh, sharing your experiences today. You're welcome. I don't think I said anything offensive. I don't think so either. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we missed this now. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, now for... Your sister is an idiot. Um, this week, we're talking about... The theme of misdirection, which is quite appropriate for dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, at Grandad's funeral, I mean, it's quite a, a funny element to a funeral. If funerals can be funny, this was it. Um, we'd had the service, and it was all nice and nice. It was the first one of the day in the crematorium, and um, at the end, uh, they played the music. And I was just sat there thinking, I don't, I don't really want to keep sitting here. I'm, I'm ready to leave. Uh, but before they opened the side door, is where you're actually supposed to exit out of the crematorium at the end of the funeral service. I decided to walk back down the aisle and followed my whole pew, my whole pew of people followed behind me back down the aisle uh, to exit out the front door. And then only after I'd ex- exited out of that door where we informed that we went the wrong way and we're supposed to go out the side door and the reason that you're supposed to go out the side door is so you don't bump into the next funeral i did not know that but it's because it's such a conveyor belt of services <laughs> uh one in one out and it goes around like that so yes that was quite amusing and uh melissa's experience of misdirection well yours mm, truly was dropped off at the airport at 4am in the morning so i, I plead uh Sleep deprivation for this one. Um, I went. I was unfamiliar with navigating an airport alone at four a.m. in the morning, so I didn't know where to go. Um, instead of going to departures, um, my room was like, "Oh my god, I've just arrived at the airport. Therefore, I shall go to arrivals." <laughs> uh, that was not the case. I saw lots of people with like sunglasses, a tan, very suspicious tan. They're looking more refreshed, having been on holiday rather than. Just arriving at the airport from, you know, being dropped off from, you know, their house. Having, I think I was eating uh, noodles in the car on the way there. That was fun. Uh, So, yes, I went to the wrong place in the airport. It took me about ten minutes to figure out that I was in the wrong area. And the planes were in the other direction, at the departures, because I was, in fact, departing from the airport on a plane. Yes, that was amusing. Intelligent you are, aren't you? I am. I am a clever one. You have just got into university. I have. I've got into university twice. That's a flex. Yeah. Yes. The future doctor. Don't ever get ill in the school. <laughs> um, you might have to deal with me. Well, that's wise advice. Uh, don't go and get ill in Liverpool because mm. you don't want to be treated by. Yes. The uh, the the doctor in training will be situated at Liverpool for the next five years. <laughs> Anyway, right, signing off now. Got half an hour. Don't have to say it. <laughs>
I really regret saying it the first episode. I'm not going to say it. Everybody else, everybody else can figure it out. Uh, yeah, okay, right. Until next time. Bye.